morning. Today we are reading from Ezekiel 34, 7 through 16. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the sheep have but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the, of the Lord. Thus says Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding at the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and through all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down on good grazing land and on rich pastures. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lay down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is the word of the Lord. It sounds like sheep are running above our head, isn't it? <laughs> if you're new here at Grace, our children's ministry is actually on the third floor right above us, so every time you hear them running back and forth, that's a good reminder for us to be praying for the kids that uh, they would hear the gospel well, as would we. Well, if you're visiting here, or maybe you're newer here to Grace, uh, we're going through the uh, whole Bible this year, as Pastor Tim mentioned earlier. We're going from Genesis to Revelation, uh, from January to December. And right now, as we're about two-thirds of the way through the year, we're in the prophets, the section of the scriptures where God, uh, through people like us, speaks to, to the nation and tells them what they need to hear. And these words are often uh, words of warning, words of judgment, words to say, hey, if you don't turn around, something terrible is going to happen. And today we're in the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of the uh, three so-called major prophets, the prophets whose uh, prophecies are much longer than the rest of the prophets. And Ezekiel is one of the more perplexing books for a lot of Christians. I had a person who I have a lot of respect for in our church this week um, who told me, you know, I think this is the first time I've ever read Ezekiel this week. And I said, well, we were supposed to start reading it last week. And she said, well, this week is the first week I've ever read Ezekiel. And it, it can be a confusing book. And I, I get why it's so often ignored and neglected by Christians. Um, there are a lot of lived out acts of prophetic judgment that Ezekiel is told to do by God. Um, things that uh, I would describe maybe as weird. Um, Justin, our worship pastor, described them as performance art. I'm going to go with weird. Uh, <clears throat> He's told to lay on his side for a year as an act of judgment against Israel. He's told to construct a model of the city of Jerusalem and run a rod through it. 
He's told to cook his food over dung as a sign of judgment on Israel. There's just all these like weird things that you read them in Ezekiel, and you're like, God, why are you having Ezekiel do that? But to Ezekiel's credit, and for our benefit, Ezekiel is faithful even when the words of prophecy are hard to hear. Ezekiel is born into a priestly family, he's of a priestly lineage, and he expects early in his life to go into the family career of offering sacrifice at the temple before God. But as he begins his prophetic ministry at 30 years old, that's the, the age a priest would normally start working in the temple, his ministry is dramatically redirected to speaking words of judgment against the people of Israel. And so instead of being a priest, he becomes a priest without a temple, because not long after he starts this prophetic speaking ministry, the temple itself is destroyed. And for all of Ezekiel's life, he'll be the one telling Israel the warning about what's to come. That's the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel. And then the last part of Ezekiel, that there's hope on the far side of judgment. So in Ezekiel, you hear these two themes repeated over and over, that judgment is coming, the first 33 chapters, and that there's hope after judgment, the last 15 chapters. And we're going to look at the chapter that's really the pivot point of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. It's at the end of the time of judgment and at the beginning of the time of hope. And that pivot point centers around the concept of shepherding. What's going to happen because of the wicked shepherds that have led Israel into this dark place? And what hope is there for a future after judgment? Now, wicked shepherds are, are, are people who have led uh, out of duplicity, out of hypocrisy, out of self-seeking, unfortunately is not a problem that ended with Ezekiel's day. The shepherds of Ezekiel's time, the prophets, the priests, and the kings that had, rather than leading the people towards God, had led them away from God, I wish we could say that was a one-generation problem. But we probably all know religious leaders, spiritual leaders, civic leaders, political leaders who have not led people as they should, but rather led them for their own selfish benefit. As a pastor, I hear this a lot. Um, I hear people say, oh, you're, uh, you're religious. Uh, I, I used to be religious. My parents were really religious. I don't necessarily like the term religious, but it's a term our culture uses a lot. So they'll say, oh, yeah, you're, you're a pastor. Yeah, my dad used to be a deacon at our church. Oh, okay, what was that like? We came home and drank a lot afterwards, and I figured if that's what it means to be religious, I don't want to be part of it. Okay. Oh, you're a pastor. Uh, yeah, I used to go to a youth group. And then the youth pastor there, after I left, totally left his wife, left his kids. And I figured if that's what pastors are like, I don't want any part of it. Okay. And maybe you have your own stories you could add in here. Um, wicked shepherds, shepherds who, rather than serving the people, have served themselves. And they've harmed the character and reputation of God. That's what we see here in Ezekiel 34, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? If I could summarize this section in one phrase, it's that, should not shepherds feed the sheep? What Ezekiel is charging the leaders of Israel with, what God's charging the leaders of Israel with, is that they've looked out for their own interests instead of the in interests of the people. The prophets, the priests, and the kings of Israel had seen their offices as places to be served rather than to serve. Now, now the problem with leaders isn't having them, right? 
In fact, in Israel's history, leaders have served them incredibly well. Ezekiel himself is one of the shepherds of Israel. He's, he's a prophet of Israel. And you look at kings like David, prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah, you look at some of the priests like Samuel and like Eli, you see people who have really helped the people of God. So the problem isn't having these leaders. Each of them has served Israel well at times. But his point is that this generation of leaders in Israel has served themselves rather than the people. Rather than looking out for the welfare of those that they were supposed to serve, they've looked out for their own benefits. Now, shepherds, as a, as a concept, may not be our, our super familiar language. Most of us don't interact with sheep and shepherds in our everyday, but we can sort of generalize this theme to our culture today, that we have shepherds as well. In fact, literally, pastor in English is just an anglicization of the word for shepherd. That's what I do, but it's not just pastors. Those of you who serve in our church as life group leaders, as um, Sunday school teachers in our kids' ministry who work with the youth ministry, you're shepherds in people's lives. Those of you who are parents or spouses are shepherds in your home. Those of you who are managers or uh, executives at work, you're shepherds in your corporate environment. And all of us have a responsibility to shepherd the people under us with care and with love. And how we do as leaders will have a direct impact on the people that we lead. We all need leaders, we need shepherds. So the, the solution isn't to just ignore that role, but to look for people that represent the character of God. And this is the charge against Israel's shepherds in Ezekiel's day. He says to him in verse 3, You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. They failed to lead well, Ezekiel said, and they did it in a, a few specific ways. And this is a really helpful checklist for us as parents, as small group leaders, as elders, as pastors, as bosses, to think through with some self-awareness, like, how am I doing at these things? Am I being self-indulgent at the cost of the people that I'm leading? Have I neglected the priorities of the sheep and made myself eat first and them eat last, if at all? When I see the people I'm leading bleeding, do I care? Do I act? Or do I just walk on the other side of the road? Do I blame them and insist that it's their fault, that they've got themselves into this mess and they can get themselves out of it? Do I care when the people that I lead are lost? Do I even know whether they're lost or not? And when I do act, do I act with gentleness or do I act with harshness and force? Am I one of those parents that just blows up at my kids out of nowhere because I'm frustrated with them rather than acting out of love for them? With any amount of self-awareness, we read these things and we think, oh, how many of us fall short at all these things? How many of us fall short to be these sorts of leaders and shepherds in the people's lives of those around us? And what Ezekiel says is that how we shepherd those around us has a direct care on their well-being. The consequences of their failure is destruction for the sheep and them being scattered. Look at verse 5. He says, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them or to seek for them. A sad description of what a leader is supposed to be doing and neglects to do. Ezekiel tells 
the prophets and the priests and the kings of his day. You've just let God's sheep go as if they don't matter to you and they don't matter to him. You've let them scatter all over the known world. Now, of course, this is a metaphor, right? This is a, a metaphor, the idea that sheep on their own will just wander any direction they see fit. Um, and it takes the active care of someone else to help them to be able to be in a safe environment. And even though it's a metaphor, Ezekiel says, this is true literally for the people of Israel. Because of your neglect, they're going to be exiled throughout the known world. They're going to be scattered to Babylon and elsewhere because you haven't cared for them. I know, Quinn, the sermon is really long. I'm sorry, sweetie. But it gets, it gets worse. Don't worry. Uh, no. All right. Um, all right, well, let's, let's think about this together. What might this look like in our lives today? Like, it, if this were to happen to you, if you were to be, let's, let's think about it first as a concept of a sheep. If you were to be someone who would be led by wicked shepherds, what would it look like if it looked the same as an Ezekiel day? Well, it might look the same with religious leaders. Religious leaders who take from us but aren't there when we need them. With civic leaders, it might be pol politicians or political leaders who exploit their positions to enrich themselves but ignore the people that they're supposed to serve. As a parent, it might have a, mean having a parent who's harsh towards us, who rules with force and fear rather than love and uh, kindness. And I imagine in a room this size, there's probably been a lot, maybe all of us, have experienced wicked shepherds in our life at some point. Not just limited, flawed people, but wicked shepherds who, out of whatever reasons, have exploited the people they've led rather than cared for them. And God's grieved by that. Right? God's grieved in Ezekiel by the wicked shepherds of his day, and he's grieved by the wicked sh shepherds of our day. Parents like that, pastors like that, politicians like that, who rather than care for the sheep, have exploited them. And the good news from Ezekiel is that, that those wicked shepherds don't escape judgment. They don't escape the notice of God, and they don't escape the judgment of God. But if we flip it and look instead from a sheep's perspective to a shepherd's perspective, any amount of self-awareness causes us to realize that we so often fail as well. And when we start to feel that feeling of self-awareness, at least for me, that jumps into uh, self-justification. And so here's the objection that comes to my mind. Well, it's not really my fault the, she the sheep wander away. It's not my fault. Isn't, what happened to personal responsibility, right? Shouldn't the sheep be responsible for themselves? We shouldn't just excuse them because the leaders were terrible people. Shouldn't they pull themselves up by their own spiritual bootstraps and take responsibility for wandering off like sheep are prone to do? Um, this is an example of me being a terrible father here on video. Um, <laughs> when Andy was born, uh, he was maybe three weeks old, four weeks old, and uh, we were changing his diaper or whatever at two in the morning, and uh, Becca handed him to me. And you know how you're supposed to support the head when, with a baby? I mean, I know that now, but um, <laughs> like I, he's three weeks old, he's mature, right? And he does that thing where his head like just pops right back. And the sort of thing that with a third kid, you kind of be like, oh, that's too bad. But with the first kid, you're like, we've got to go to the ER now. <laughs> and, uh, and Becca gives me that like look, and, I'm like, and, and it's like, come on, you got to support the head. Like, you got to do this. And in my failure as a father in that moment, what do I do? I blame the kid, right? I'm like, it's his fault. I, I think I literally said, like, it's his head. So I'm like, oh. 
And I look back on that and I think, it was his fault. No, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't. Of course I don't. No, I look back on that and I think, who, what kind of foolish father blames his three-week-old for his head falling back, right? But how, how, how much do I still do that, right? As a, as a pastor, as a parent, as a husband, as a part of a community, like where I, I blame the sheep for their own foolishness. Right? When we read passages like Ezekiel 34, it should give us a sense of humility, a sense of repentance, and a sense of uh, confidence that God cares for the sheep that we lead. He cares for the kids and grandkids that we're a spiritual leader in their lives. He cares for the people that are in our life groups, the kids in our youth group and our Sunday school class. And there's, there's no place for kicking the sheep, for blaming the three-year-old's head falling back any more than there is for blaming the 13-year-old or the 35-year-old or the 85-year-old for making selfish decisions. This is all part of the sanctification process that we're all on. We're not to rule with force and harshness, he says, but rather with the kindness and gentleness that reflects the character of God. Now, this doesn't exclude, exclude personal responsibility. If you read the whole book of Ezekiel in the last couple of weeks, you've seen there's a lot of space for personal responsibility. In fact, just the chapter before, in chapter 33, uh, Ezekiel warns the people of Israel that it's their failure to listen to God's word that's brought about judgment. So it's not just the shepherd's fault, right? It's also the people's fault. But for the shepherds, the question is, why have you led them to this place of foolishness? Why haven't you intervened and helped to redirect them to a place of care? Now, there's obviously a place as a parent, as a pastor, where you can't do things for people. But as a leader, it's your responsibility to do your best to shepherd them. And that's clearly not what's happening in Israel in their day. And because of that, there would be consequences for the wicked shepherds. In verse 10, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. What God's telling the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, is that they will not lead forever. Their role is not entitled to them, that they don't get to keep exploiting those that they lead, and that they'll be held to a deep, personal accountability for the way that they've sinned against God's people. This is an important lesson for us to learn, that no one is above accountability in the church or in the kingdom of God. There is no one who deserves to be excluded. There's no one whose sins deserve to be indulged. There's no one whose, um, whose ways of harming other people should be tolerated by a church just because of the role they have. If prophets, priests, and kings are going to be held accountable by Ezekiel and by God for the way they've harmed the people, the same thing should be true in a church. So there should never be a time that somebody commits a criminal act in our church, that they're not held account before the police and before the church. There's never a time that someone's um, temper should be tolerated just because of how talented they are. Leaders in every church need to be held to account. And the reason why is because we all operate under the leadership of God. The next part of the chapter, the next part of the sermon too, sort of pivots on this idea that even though human leaders have failed, that's not the end of the story that there's a hope that God himself will shepherd the people, that he promises to shepherd Israel directly in ways that the human leaders have failed at. Israel is able to expect a different outcome the next time because God will restore uh, and provide leadership to the sheep of Israel himself. This is what he says in verse 11. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from the places where they've been scattered away, even on a day of clouds and on thick darkness. What's this passage saying? It says the wicked shepherds, they don't care that the sheep have wandered away, but God cares, and he will always seek them out. Or to put it more directly, he will always seek us out. This is really a core principle of scripture, is that God cares about you and comes for you, that he will seek you out, that he won't leave you on your own, that he doesn't leave you to sort of fend for yourself in this, wor in this world, but that he is tender towards you and that he comes for you, that God is the shepherd of his people, and that includes you. As Psalm 23 says that, that, we, that we read earlier in the service, that he is our shepherd, and because of that, we don't need to want, that he leads us besides Green, besides still waters, and he leads us to green pastures. They, he cares about your well-being, that he even restores your soul. I wonder, just like on a, just on a gut level, if this is your experience of God. Like as you think back over your life, like, is this how you've experienced God? Or have you experienced God as sort of distant? Like, God's kind of there when I'm interested in him, but he doesn't really care about my life. Or have you experienced him the way the Bible describes, as the one who comes after you, who seeks after you, who, if you wander away because of your own foolishness or selfishness or limits, he comes to find you and heal you and bring you back home. Because that's the biblical model of what, Jesus, what God is like, and it's most fully expressed in Jesus himself. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 15 where he says that he is like the shepherd who leaves the 99 known sheep behind to go after the one lost sheep, and he rejoices when he finds you. He rejoices when he finds me. He cares for us that deeply and that fully. This is one of the benefits in being part of an intergenerational church is that we get to hear the ways that God has sought after people and been faithful all the days of their life. I love uh, Psalm 23. I love reading it at memorial services. And often at memorial services, we get to hear from someone who's older about how God was faithful to their spouse, faithful to their brother, faithful to their father all the days of their life. And that's something that I need to hear in my sort of middle age. That's something that we need to hear, those of you guys who are younger, in your teenage years, that, that God will always be faithful to us all the days of our life. Even, through, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. God's shepherding is fundamentally different than the shepherding that Israel had experienced because it's not self-seeking. It's not self-absorbed, and it doesn't harm the people it's supposed to serve. Unlike the shepherds that had failed Israel, God will provide for their needs, even at the expense of his own. This is what he says in verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them from the countries. I'll bring them into their own land. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines, all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel, that shall be their grazing land. And then in verse 16, he summarizes it. I will seek the lost. I'll bring back the strayed. I'll bind up the injured. I'll strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them in justice or I'll feed them with justice. What God's telling Israel, what he's telling us is that God cares about our needs. He cares about our spiritual well-being and he is tender towards us, caring for our wounds. He seeks us when we're lost. This is what the shepherds were always supposed to be like. 
They were supposed to represent God's character, and even though they had failed, that doesn't change the character of God. And in the same way, for those of you guys who've experienced really wicked shepherding, or maybe just flawed shepherding, maybe limited shepherding, parents, pastors, spiritual leaders, teachers, who were supposed to show you what God is like, and they failed, maybe they they got 10% there, or 40% there, or 2% there, but they, they had failed to show you what God is like, we turn to God's word to be reminded what he is truly like. And the hope of this passage is that these human failings don't define God and therefore they don't define our future. That God will always shepherd us in the way that reflects the goodness and character of his love. So that that sounds wonderful. That sounds good. Like, how is that fulfilled? It's 2,600 years since Ezekiel wrote his uh, book. How has that actually come to pass? Did God really do that? Well, sure, he did. In the first sense in the Old Testament, He does it about 70 years later when he brings Israel back from captivity. He shepherds the people back from exile in Babylon in something that had never really happened before. He brings the people that have been destroyed back together again into their own land. But much more importantly than that, he fulfills this promise of caring and shepherding for his people when he sends his son, Jesus Christ. This is the hope that Ezekiel points to, that God would himself shepherd the people. And Jesus said that that hope is fulfilled in him. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then Jesus describes the way that he's going to shepherd the people. It's going to be fundamentally different from the wicked shepherds. He says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Remember, the wicked shepherds are always feeding themselves. They're caring about their own needs first. And Jesus says, I will put your needs first, even to the point of laying down my life for you. The wicked shepherds neglect the wounds of the people. And Jesus said, even at my own wounds, you will be healed. The wicked shepherds ignore and are apathetic towards the lost. And Jesus says, I will come into this world, even if it means giving up my life, so that you will be found by my Father. And Jesus invites us into that shepherding with him when he says in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He says, even as we've been found, we're to go and to find the lost sheep out there as well. He is the good shepherd who invites us into this mission with him to seek and to save the lost. What does that mean for your life? It means that you and I are sheep who on our own, as Isaiah 53 says, have gone astray, gone on our own way who deserve to be separated from the the shepherd. But he has gone and he has found us. He has brought us back. And for any of us who would choose to follow Jesus, it means that we get to be part of his family, of his sheepfold forever. This is the hope that Ezekiel has, that one day there would be a shepherd, God himself, who would seek after the sheep. And if you look back in Ezekiel, in verse 23, it's, Ezekiel gets more explicit about what that shepherd would be like. He says in verse 23, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. All right, I know we're, we're covering this really quickly, and so this might be a little confusing. But I want to highlight this contrast. Because in verse 15, God says, I will be the shepherd. It's me. I'm going to be the direct shepherd. And then in verse 23, he says, I'm going to send David. David will be the shepherd. All right, so how are those two things true? Like, how does God say, I'm going to rule directly, and I'm going to send David? 
and just a quick reminder of the chronology, David lived about 400 years before Ezekiel, and he was super dead, I think is the technical term. Super dead, right? I didn't make it very far in the pre-med program. Super dead was as far as I got. All right. How could it be that uh, God himself would lead the people and a human would lead the people? How could, how could the shepherd of Israel be both fully God and fully man at the same time? Who could fulfill that sort of title that would be the one sent from God himself and would be a very nature God and yet would be fully man, a son of David himself? Well, of course, you guys who've read the Bible know that that's fulfilled in Jesus, right? This is one of the hopes that the Old Testament points to, that the, the shepherd that we need is both fully God and fully man. And Jesus is that good shepherd. All right, so what do we take away from this? Do we take away that human leaders are bad and God's the good shepherd and that's the end of it? Like, I mean, that's kind of bad for job security for me personally. Um, I mean, why, why are there pastors? Why are there elders? Why are you part of a church? Like, if, if human leaders fail us and God's the leader that we need, why be part of a, any institution with human leaders? Well, part of that answer is that we're living in an in-between time where we still look forward to the day when we'll be directly under the hand of God in heaven forever. But the other part of that is that all of us as Christians operate under the authority of Jesus. There's none of us, no pastor, no elder, no small group leader, no parent, who replaces the role of Jesus in any of our lives. That's what we say when we, we encourage you to follow Jesus as your Lord. We're saying that you're under his hand of direction uh, not under the hand of a person. But there is a role for spiritual leaders in all of our lives. Um, not as shepherds, but maybe as sheepdogs, as part of the flock, but not the leader themselves. We all operate under the authority of a chief shepherd. This is what First Peter 5 says. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I know I read that kind of fast, but in 1 Peter 5, what, what Peter's describing to the elders of the church is that they should be the very opposite of these wicked leaders. They shouldn't be people who are serving in order to get, but in order to help. They're not doing it because they have to, but because they want to. And they're certainly not doing it in order to promote themselves, but to promote the people they lead, because all of us operate under the authority of God. That's true for those of you guys who are parents, right? You're, you're parenting under the hand of God. That the person or people uh, in your family that, that, that you're parenting matter to God, and, and they're not your own alone, but you're under parents, under the fatherhood of God. Those of you who are elders or pastors in this church, you're under elders, you're under shepherds, under the hand of God. Those of you who are life group leaders or small group leaders, you have in your group people who matter infinitely to God. And whether you care for them or neglect them is going to be held account, will be held to your account under God's hand. I've found personally, and I think the Bible supports this, that being part of a church helps our spiritual growth. It doesn't hinder it. And I really believe for you that it'll help you to be a part of this church. Um, and so I would encourage you to be part of an active part of this congregation to go through the Grace 101 membership process and identify publicly as a member of this church. I'd encourage you to be part of a small group so that you can be part of a, a community of people that know your name and care about you and can help shepherd you through this process. 
And when you go through hurts and pains in life, for you to be willing to raise your hand and say, I really want to talk to someone about what's going on and talk to a Stephen minister or a pastor about how you can be bound up and healed. I hope that we're all under the shepherding. I'm sorry. I hope that what you've experienced here at Grace shows the hand of God. But I know that that's not always the case. And I know that some of you have been wounded and hurt by churches in the past, maybe by this church, maybe by me. And there's a reconciliation process that we all need to be going through and that we all need to acknowledge. For those of you who have been hurt and wounded by wicked leaders or even just by limited leaders, I hope that you'll be able to take that to God in what we've talked about this, in this passage and in others and be able to turn to him for healing. And for all of us, I hope that what we see in limited leaders in our life is just a, even a mere reflection of the fact of how much Jesus cares for us. Because no matter how much your parents loved you or no matter how much our pastors love for you, it, it's always a pale reflection of the love that Christ has for us as our shepherd. A couple questions for you to pray about and reflect on this week. As you think about leaders in your life that have served you well, who have helped you to know God and have pointed you in the right direction, um, who are some of those people? Maybe parents you've had, grandparents you've had, small group leaders you've had. And then, this is a little sadder, but who are some of the leaders who have harmed you? And is there any way that, that you need to help hold those people accountable? Secondly, who are some of those people that you've served well as a spiritual leader? And then, again, who have you harmed? And is there any reconciliation or repentance that needs to occur? Is there anyone you need to call and apologize to this week? Or is there any uh, ways that you need to be held accountable for what you've done? And then lastly, what expectations do you have for Jesus to shepherd you? Have you turned to him as the shepherd of your heart? Have you looked at Ezekiel 34 and John 10 and said, Jesus, that's what I want. I want you to care for me, and I want to turn over my life to you. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you care about us as your sheep. Even though we go our own way, even though we are foolish and self-seeking, that you have brought us back together in Christ is a remarkable thing. God, would you give us strength and courage and integrity as individuals, as groups, as a church, that we would lead others in the way that you have led us. God, may our shepherding of our families, of our congregation, of our small groups, may it reflect your character, because it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.